Welcome to the latest episode of British History, Royals, Rebels, and Romantics, the podcast for people who understand that history shows us what's possible for us in our lives today. I'm Carol Ann Lloyd, your host and tour guide as we travel back in time. We're shaking up history to look at the stories that don't always make the history books, to consider famous and infamous characters in new and interesting ways, and to look for all the things that we share even when we're living in different times and places. I hope you enjoy this journey through the royals, rebels, and romantics of Britain. Now, let's explore history together. Hello, and welcome to Mischief and Merrymaking at a Medieval Christmas. It's time to celebrate. Pagan and Christian Traditions The European medieval calendar was full of holy days, or holidays, which were often a mixture of Christian and pagan traditions. This is certainly true of Christmas. Even the date of December 25th was chosen to integrate other celebrations into Christianity. Several pagan holidays were celebrated during the end of December, including Winter Solstice, Saturnalia, the Festival of Yule, and others. As Northern Europe embraced Christianity, these holidays influenced Christmas traditions. In the 4th century, Pope Julius determined the birth of Christ would be celebrated on December 25th. The first written record of the name of the holiday was a book written in 1038 that included the words Christus Mass in it. In early medieval times, Christmas celebrations were often overshadowed by celebrations for Epiphany on January 6th, which marked the coming of the three wise men, or magi. That was a time of gift-giving and celebrating, while Christmas Day was a time of worship and reflection. As time went on, the Christmas holiday expanded, and by around the beginning of the 11th century, Christmas was becoming the more prominent holiday. The lengthy celebration was referred to as Christmastide to include both celebrations. This was the beginning of the 12 days of Christmas, which lasts from Christmas Day on December 25th to Twelfth Night and then Epiphany on the 6th of January. Advent. Not the Christmas countdown calendar with a chocolate behind every door like I had. The time leading up to Christmas was very different from today. Instead of endless holiday parties and sales and decorations and wall-to-wall made-for-TV Christmas movies, it was a time of hard work, restricted eating, and economizing. Known as the 40 Days of St. Martin, as 11 November was the feast day of St. Martin of Tours, or Advent, this was a time for people to focus on making preparations for the coming of the Christ child on Christmas Day. December 25th was one of the quarter days, which meant accounts needed to be up to date and rent would be due. During Advent, people were expected to give up meat, cheese, milk, and eggs. In order to afford a special celebration over Christmas, most people lived on an even more limited budget than usual, saving up for the expense of travel and some of the special food they would have over Christmastide. Worship and music. 
Christmastide began with religious observance, beginning at midnight on Christmas Eve. The local church was filled with villagers who would gather for the midnight mass and other services throughout the day. Services were solemn, featuring scriptures, sermons, and religious music. During the early Middle Ages, Christmas was primarily a time for prayer, worship, and reflection. As time went on, a greater sense of celebration was attached to the religious service. The number of songs composed specifically for the holiday is one indication of how important the celebration of Christmas was during this time. There were strict rules about the kind of music that would be included in medieval church services. Religious hymns, serious in nature, represented the approved Christmas music of the time. Some medieval hymns are still heard today, although many have different lyrics. Familiar tunes include O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, There Is No Rose of Such Virtue, and Nova Nova. Some carols, like The Holly and the Ivy, could have originated during this time as well. Typically, there would be three services full of this kind of music on Christmas Day. A time of rest, socializing, and fun. Most of the holiday meant singing, dancing, playing games, visiting family and friends, and having fun. Christmas was a time when almost everyone was able to take a holiday from work. It was a tradition to cover spinning wheels with flowers to keep them from being used. One type of work that was welcome over this time was when a noble household hired many extra helpers for the holidays. This gave townspeople a chance to be part of the celebration even if they were helping prepare and serve the meals. There was an excess of everything, and the chance of enjoying special treats made working during the holiday desirous. You were encouraged to be well and happy as part of the medieval Christmas season. Wassail comes from the Old English hail, which means be well. It was tradition for families and friends to visit each other over the holidays. The host would provide a strong hot drink, typically including ale and spices to his guest, and greet them with Wassail. Visitors would share the bowl throughout the visit. One imagines that the more Wassail was shared, the merrier the party became. In some villages, family and friends would take their Wassail bowl from door to door, caroling to their neighbors. And this brings us to caroling, which means to sing and dance in a circle. Caroling, a ring of dancers who would sing together, was part of the pre-Christian custom. In the solemn Christian Christmas services, such animated singing and dancing was forbidden in church, so carolers were sent outside. Through the years, many gathered to sing and dance the lively songs associated with Christmas. As time went on, the carols became even more risque, and eventually Archbishop Thomas Beckett warned against them, but the caroling continued, and it's something family and friends often participate in and enjoy today. One of the fun parts of the Christmas holidays is giving and receiving gifts. In medieval times, gift-giving traditionally took place on New Year's Day, as Christmas Day was dedicated to church worship and eating. The custom comes from the Magi bringing gifts to the Christ child. Interestingly, some of those least in need demanded the best gifts. King Henry III, for example, regularly reminded his servants that the Magi had brought gold as their gifts, clearly implying he expected the same from them. Gift-giving was a treacherous pl- treacherously political thing at court, 
the wrong gift could put you out of favor for a long time. Decorations and food. Unlike today, medieval Christmas decorations did not start going up mid-October. In fact, because of Advent, the 40 days before Christmas were pretty bleak. Once noon passed on December 24th, decorating homes and churches could begin. Family members wrapped up warmly and headed outside to gather holly, ivy, red berries, pine branches and cones, and other greenery they would use to decorate their front doors and their homes. There weren't Christmas trees in homes in medieval England. Instead, the center of the decorations might be a double ring of mistletoe that was hung in a prominent location. The tradition of kissing under the mistletoe was known at this time, and sometimes the kissing couple would pluck off one of the red berries each time they shared a kiss. This is also a remnant of pagan and other beliefs. The Celtic Druids believed holly warded off evil spirits. Romans and others believed mistletoe would encourage fertility, protect crops, and keep witches away. Another Christmas tradition is the Yule Log. The family would drag a large piece of trunk into the house and light it on Christmas Eve using a piece of the Yule Log they had saved from the year before. To ensure good luck and better fortune in the coming year, it was important to keep the log burning throughout the holiday season. It was allowed to go out after Epiphany, and a portion was kept to use to light the next year's log. Most people had eaten sparsely and fasted during Advent, so they looked forward to Christmas feasting. For all levels of society, Christmas food usually represented better fare than the usual. Laborers, farm workers, and others often treated themselves to meat at Christmas, usually boiled. This was often the only time of year they were able to eat meat. Sometimes the lord of the manor would feast on venison and then offer the leftover bits and entrails to his workers. These bits, called umbles, were sometimes baked into a pie. An umble pie. That's right, the beginning of humble pie. In addition to meat, workers and peasants might treat themselves to cheese and eggs and even a cake. Members of the aristocracy dined so well during the rest of the year, they had to go all out to make Christmas feast something special, and they did. Decorated with seasonal greenery, the great hall was set up for the grandest meal. The Christmas feast was served in several courses, often hailed by trumpets or other music as they carried it in. The higher levels of aristocracy were entitled to more variety of food and more courses. The king, of course, had the best of everything. His holiday meals would go on for hours, with various courses introduced with musical numbers and other performances. Even though the higher classes ate meat regularly, the Christmas feasts were something special. The amounts and variety of meat was more varied and could include salmon, trout, oysters, beef, mutton, veal, venison, goose, duck, and suckling pig, all in the same meal. One special course would be the boar's head, presented in its glory on a special platter, often accompanied by singers performing the boar's head carol. Wine flowed freely in the great houses over the holidays, sometimes sweetened with sugar or honey. There was also cider and ale. In the later Middle Ages, beer made an appearance. There were also fine desserts, including pastries, nut, cheese, and luxury rare fruits like oranges and figs. 
course, there were plenty of leftovers, and these were shared with the poor in the area. Some lords held an open house once or twice during the holidays where tenants could come eat in the great hall. Although they wouldn't be served the same fine food the lord's family ate, they usually would be able to enjoy something much more elaborate than their usual food, perhaps some roasted meat, custard, fruit, and cider or ale. But in some cases, invitations to the Lord's Feast was limited. The story goes that at a manor in southern England, the Lord invited only two workers, one large landowner and one minor landowner. The large landowner was able to bring two friends, and all of them were treated to beef, chicken, stew, and beer. The lesser landowner had to bring his own cup and plate and only got leftovers. However, that was better than nothing, and he left with a loaf of bread to share with his family and neighbors. Royal Celebrations There are a few fun highlights of royal celebrations during medieval Christmas time. William the Conqueror chose Christmas Day for his coronation after successfully invading England in 1066. There was so much celebrating inside Westminster Abbey during his coronation that the guards outside were afraid the new king was under attack. They stormed the abbey and then rushed through the surrounding streets, starting a riot that ended in homes being destroyed and Londoners being killed. Not a Merry Christmas. Henry II and Eleanor of Aquitaine had some significant experiences at Christmas. Henry, who was then Duke of Anjou, was proclaimed heir to the English throne around Christmas in 1153, The next year, a week before Christmas, Henry and Eleanor were crowned King and Queen of England. The holiday got more complicated as time went on. Years later, Eleanor supported her son's uprising against the king, and the king had her in prison. In 1183, their son Henry died, and on his deathbed, begged his father to forgive and release his mother. Although Henry didn't fully release Eleanor, he did allow her more access to the outside world, including a visit to the Royal Christmas Court at Windsor that year. King John, whom many consider the worst king of England, did know how to have a Christmas feast. According to records, in 1213, he he ordered 200 head of pork and 1,000 hens to celebrate the holiday, along with saffron, almonds, and other spices as well as linen for the tables and wax for the candle. He even asked the Sheriff of Canterbury to acquire 10,000 salt eels for the feasting. All of this would be washed down with an enormous amount of wine. So that year seems pretty merry. Back to work. Plow Monday or Candlemas. Of course, all good things come to an end. The first Monday after Twelfth Night is traditionally considered Plow Monday, the time when the English agricultural calendar starts up for the new year. As most people in medieval medieval England worked the land, the majority of people ended their Christmastide celebration right after Twelfth Night. There are records that indicate plow candles were lit in churches to bring good luck to the villagers. It was certainly time for those decorations to come down. Many people believed that spirits and tree sprites lived in the branches possibly in all of that greenery around the house. The longer those sprites were inside, the more restless they became. By Plow Monday, it all needed to be taken outside 
or who knew what mischief those sprites might cause the household. So now we come to the end of our medieval Christmastide celebration. Thank you so much for joining me, and be sure to come back next week as we celebrate a Tudor Christmas. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please share with a friend. Do send any questions or comments. I'd love to hear from you where we should explore next. And please subscribe and leave a review. I'd really appreciate it. I'm so glad we could explore history together. Till next time. Thank you.